HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market. Whether you are cooking for one or for a crowd, Fairway Market literally has everything you need for a fantastic meal. But if you don't feel like cooking, no worries, they cater. Check out fairwaymarket.com for more information and be sure to check the new blog on our plate for weekly specials, health tips, and recipes. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So listen to this sentence. About a year ago, I was invited to join a market research panel that was being conducted by a branding company working on a branding and identity project for a new kids snack food product. Did you listen to that sentence? Market research, branding company, branding and identity New Kids Snack Food Product. Now think about it. In the 10,000-year history of humans and food that we have a record of, have any of those words ever been used together until up to maybe 100 years ago? Do you think that back in the Middle Ages, in the depths of plague-infested Europe, some farmer grew some, like, especially nice turnips, and he said... How can I get these turnips to sell more than that lame-ass farmer Igor's turnips? I know. I'll hire a branding company to promote my new shinier turnips and put that infected bastard right out of business. Or did the Basque whalers on their two-plus-year-long sea-hunting journeys looking for whale meat say, You know, if we repositioned whale meat as a healthier alternative to beef, we could probably sell more of it to those dumb peasants especially if we marinate it and sell it prepackaged and with grill marks printed on it. Or more recently in colonial America, not that long ago, when the Ingalls family 
you know I love the Ingalls, were heading west in their covered wagon. Do you think Ma turned to Pa and said, Charles, when we get to our new homestead that we've stolen from the Indians, can you make sure that we raise only the kid-friendly chickens that are shaped like nuggets? Because otherwise Laura won't eat them. Mary will be okay because she's blind and she can't tell the difference, but you know what a picky eater Laura is. She'll only eat the chickens that are shaped like nuggets. I don't think so. But now, a food product can't even sit on a store shelf without major market research being done. And apart from that, therein lies the ultimate foodiness oxymoron. Food product. It's not even enough that the food product has to have market research that we use the term food product. Food product is a total oxymoron. It's food, not a product. You can't do market research on carrots or oats or on beans because there's really nothing to say about them. They speak for themselves, albeit in a very quiet way, except for the beans. Anyway, we were told that this session would be about healthier kid snacks. Now, hearing that, of course, immediately triggered the foodiness alarm in my brain and the literal pain that runs up the side of my neck when I think about things like that. But I was like a shark that smells a swimmer having her period or an MTV executive finding the one pregnant teen on earth who doesn't have their own reality show. All alert senses and fangs exposed because I could have a paid opportunity to bring my message to the people. And I also got very excited because while my personal mission is to destroy foodiness, I also kind of have a sick fascination with market research and product development. It's kind of like seeing the enemy from the inside. It's like stopping off for dinner with Hitler and Ava Braun on your way to the showers. And I also just really like being able to tell people my opinions. And I don't really hold back. Hard to believe, isn't it? And I thought that they were inviting me to this panel because they wanted my opinion on what kids should eat. But they kind of didn't want my opinion after all, which was kind of surprising. They weren't really hired by the product manufacturer to decide if the product should exist at all which is what I would have told them, that it shouldn't exist. They were merely hired to determine how the product should be marketed to America's parents. But I plowed on in, you know, thinking that maybe I could change corporate America's mind. Like in some mahogany-paneled boardroom somewhere, they'd read the results, you know, they'd read the results of this market research, and they'd be like, Erica Wide says our product is foodiness, not food. She's on to us. We've got to pull it from the shelf stat. I know, I can be kind of naive. Sometimes maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a dreamer. Maybe I'm just an optimist. Anyway, they wouldn't tell us what this product was, but we were invited to come to this very nice office, get paid two hundred and fifty dollars and talk about kids snacks. And as I've mentioned on the show previously, I can be bought. If this were TV, not radio, you'd see me wink winking right now. So I was cool with the money part. Anyway. The table was totally covered in these products, and we were encouraged to sample whatever we wanted. We could eat whatever we wanted. They also offered us wine, I think, to kind of, like, loosen us up a little bit. Like, my tongue needed loosening. I didn't need any loosening up. The foodiness feast spread all over the table, got me loosened up, and fired up enough for all of us at that table. 
Now, the table was filled with all of this stuff that they were calling healthier snacks. Healthier snacks. There was a lot of brown paper wrapping. Still packaged, but in brown. That's how you know it's healthier, because it's in brown, not white. Like fruity, chewy, gummy things and sugary drinks with less sugar than the other sugary drinks and various kinds of soil and green chips meant for kitties and the usual stuff, the kind of allegedly healthier foodiness alternatives to other foodiness products that you'd find at Whole Foods and places like that. And some of the products were meant for babies and toddlers, which was really scary because of the amounts of sugar in them were so high. And some of it, some of the products were okay. You know, there were things I would eat, not too terrible. And some was just junk that was in, you know, greenwashed organic hemp clothing, basically. The interesting thing, though, about this was how unable the other panelists were at differentiating between the two, between real junk and foodiness junk. It's like what I've been saying all along about how when we, we meaning my peers, which I guess is people over 35, when we were young, you knew what was food and you knew what was junk. I keep saying this. You ate food at meals and you ate junk at snacks. And if you had those kind of parents, you ate junk for snacks. Or if you had my kind of parents, you ate no junk at all. And you had to sneak out with your saved up allowance money and go to the deli to buy devil dogs and have a little bit of an eating disorder. Or you could just steal the junk from your father, the hypocrite secret stash of junk that he kept in his night table and thought you didn't know about. But anyway, there was a discernible difference, mostly. You know, we ate food at most meals. Now, it was the 70s, so there was foodiness dawning for sure, but there was less of it, and you could still kind of see that dividing line. The 49th parallel still held. You could still see it. It was definitely the dawn of the era of the granola bar and the frozen diet entree and carnation instant breakfast. Foodiness was looming over us like giant alien spaceships casting their shadows on our cities as they prepared to obliterate mankind and turn the earth into like a gift wrapping planet or something like that. But real food was still being eaten and we still mostly knew the difference between it and junk. And if they had had the same market research panel in 1975 Everybody would have known that we weren't looking at food. So I gave my opinions to the moderators, and I shattered a few people's illusions about healthy snacks. Not getting the answers that they were expecting from me, but, you know, basically I didn't tell them what they wanted to hear, how this stuff was healthier and how it was better. What I pointed out was that it still wasn't food at all. Not that it was a healthier version of something, that it still really just wasn't food, which is kind of like saying you believe in evolution at a Republican presidential debate. And I tasted some fruity, snacky, foodiness stuff, which, you know, wasn't half bad if you looked at it sort of through the, the prism of a gummy bear. And I drank some free wine and I collected my 250 bucks and I took my smug little ass home. I'm sure I didn't change anyone's mind, but I think I may have entertained the other panelists at least, and, you know, that's worth something. I got $250 for giving my opinion, which is okay by me, but, you know, surprise, surprise, they never called me back to be on another one. So as I started thinking my deep thoughts this week about this show, doing a show on kid foodiness, because, by the way, you know, this show is called Feed Your Kids Cheese, Not String. So I started thinking my deep thoughts in preparation, and... um I started to realize that now kids, and even the grown-ups who are now parents of kids, 
can't see the difference anymore between food and foodiness because they're so fully indoctrinated and so owned by the food corporations from so early on in their lives or our lives that there's no line anymore. That 49th parallel, it's gone. We've completely surrendered to the foodiness corporations and we've been swallowed up by the industry. There's no more food. And the indoctrination starts with babies and toddlers. And then as I was thinking my deep thoughts, it occurred to me that baby formula is the original foodiness product. I mean, think about it. It's a manufactured doppelganger meant to simulate and approximate an actual food, but in an easier, less messy, and convenient format, and enhanced with things that may not be found in the original to give it better market value. Holy shit, that's baby formula. That's the definition of foodiness, and that's baby formula. And now we're all eating adult baby formula, too, which is what I talked about on last week's show. Now, before all the moms and all the baby people and everybody else gets pissed off at me and self-righteous and chimes in about the breast versus formula argument, let me just say again, I am not a parent. I know that the choice and the ability to breastfeed is exclusively personal, and I am not judging. This is not about that issue. Okay, so just sit on your hands. Stop typing the mean emails. I'm not talking about that. That's someone else's show. That's not my show. What I am saying is that before formula was invented, if you couldn't nurse your baby, another woman could do it for you. That's what a wet nurse was. And if there wasn't another woman around, your baby might die. And that's terrible. And that's where formula came in and probably saved thousands of babies. And that's great. That was its purpose. But just think about it. Formula is truly the original foodiness product. And think about it also as a metaphor for class and wealth also. Because in the early days, the women who embraced formula were the affluent ones. The ones who found the physicality of nursing undesirable or unclean. It was an era of everything being scientific and nobody wanted to be physical. They wanted to be clean and sterile and scientific. So they embraced formula and only the poor people nursed. Now it seems to have turned around the other way where the affluent embrace nursing and the poorer populations use formula bought with food stamps, which is fine. That's not anything bad. But it's like obesity. It used to be a disease of the wealthy. Now it's a disease of the poor, or at least the poor in our country. Poor people in the rest of the world still look like they're starving. They sort of all look like Nicole Richie. It's like a Twilight Zone episode where the rich are starving and the poor are all overweight. And it's really a shame that Rod Serling died too long ago to see that episode. So if a baby starts out on formula and then graduates to a system of foods, purees and jars and puffy, melty things and cereals designed by a big food corporation, then moves on to toddler-friendly processed foods and single-serving packages, and then maybe those horrific lunchable things, and then supplements it all with yogurt tubes and gummy vitamins and nuggets. That kid is beyond falling down the foodiness rabbit hole I always talk about. That kid is in the matrix. He's born in the rabbit hole, forever trapped in the labyrinth of foodiness, never seeing the light of the farm or the field, or real food, just feeding off the foodiness matrix that he's been born attached to. Thinking he's experiencing reality, but really only dreaming it in a corn syrup, cornstarch, and MSG 
field hallucination. And his parents are okay with it. They think he's being fed. But like how the Matrix was using people as batteries while giving them the illusion of being alive somewhere, doing things that real people do, like play video games, have virtual social lives, and stare at their devices, the corporate Matrix isn't feeding us. It's feeding off of us. It's using us to feed itself and grow bigger and more bloated and more destructive with every soy, chip, and blue raspberry-flavored gummy vitamin. Like Charlton Heston and Soylent Green. Remember him? I talk about him a lot. He'd never seen real food, so he couldn't recognize it because he was born after real food basically disappeared. So he didn't know any better. But the old man he lived with knew Soylent Green wasn't food because he remembered what food was. I am the old man. My niece is Charlton Heston. Although, thank God, my niece knows all about real food. So just to clarify all my pop culture analogies here, in case you missed something, Keanu Reeves was born in the Matrix, which is like a rabbit hole, but he didn't know he was there. And Charlton Heston's character was born post-food in a Soylent Green world, which is also like a rabbit hole, and didn't know what food was. And children today are born in the foodiness Matrix Soylent Green rabbit hole and are going to grow up thinking that strawberry-flavored toaster strudels with added fiber are strawberries, and that green-dusted corn puffs are a vegetable, and that adding vitamin C to orange-flavored corn syrup makes it juice, and being alone on your computer is is socializing, and that Kardashians are people. Soylent Green is people, not Kardashians. I need to breathe here for a minute. People, we have gone beyond the rabbit hole. We now give birth in the rabbit hole, and it's really the Matrix. And then once they're born in the Matrix of the foodiness labyrinth and feed on the formula and the manufactured baby and toddler foodiness products, they start to get sick and fat, and descend further and further into the web of foodiness-born illness, all carefully planned and engineered by the industry to lead to lives of obesity and diabetes and heart disease so that they can then get caught in the welliness web too, now made unwell by their diets, needing the drugs made by the sister pharmaceutical companies to the food companies, staying unwell by feeding on the corn syrup slurry, getting sick, then medicating themselves just enough to do it all over again. It's seriously the most boring of the vicious cycles. Now, in my day, huh, in my day, if you were in a vicious cycle like this, at least you were doing something fun to stay in it, like drinking too much or doing coke at work or sleeping with the wrong people or watching too much Little House on the Prairie. So foodiness has kind of taken all the fun out of vicious cycles. I'm going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going deeper into the matrix. Times are hard. Oh, yeah. I don't want to do your dirty work no more. 
Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. That was hilarious. I'm a fool to do your dirty work. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I'd like to open a foodiness re-education camp where I can live out my totalitarian dictatorship fantasies as I re-educate people in the difference between real food and foodiness. But what I have realized is that you can't re-educate someone in something they never knew. So I guess I'll have to have re-education camps for people born before like 1990 and education camps for people born after. And I'm going to call it Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food re-education camp. And we're going to brand it, market it, position it, package it, then sell it for broadcast on a major TV network, then sell it off to Unilever and go buy my private island and grow my own food, then brand and market and position that, and then sell that, and then screw all of this. Here's a couple of good examples of the way that we're now in the matrix, where foodiness and welliness are inextricably, inextricably intertwined. Example A, a young boy named Rhett. Yeah, Rhett, I know. He's from the South. He's the nephew of my co-producer and publicist. So Rhett was diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, Rhett has ADHD. And apparently, because Rhett has ADHD, one of the side effects, one of the symptoms, is that it causes something kind of fucked up in his palate. So he becomes super sensitive to tastes and textures and so Rhett can only eat a couple of things and one of the things that Rhett eats is cheese string and basically all that Rhett has eaten for the last 10 years is cheese string this is kind of terrible for his health which will encourage more health problems which will eventually get him on more pharmaceuticals which will cause more health problems and then we get back to that no fun vicious cycle that I was talking about. What kind of vicious cycle is it when you're on cheese string and ADHD drugs? That's no fun. But what Rhett really has, Rhett, Rhett really has, is a rich kid's eating disorder. And if you put Rhett in some poor, huge Southern family, maybe some Catholic family in Louisiana with 13 kids living in a trailer, and his mother put a giant pot of spaghetti out on the table and all the kids had to fight for their share... Let's see how long his ADHD-induced palate disorder diagnosis would hold true for little Rhett. Or here is example B. I have a new friend. I've never met her, Alexandra. She's a fan of this show, and she wrote to me, and now we're pen pals. She told me about her nephew. I can't remember his name. Doesn't matter. Let's call him mm, Bill. Anyway, her nephew is underweight. He was severely underweight, apparently not growing. So, what was he put on? Pediasure. Remember I talked about Pediasure last week, that liquid meal replacement for kids? He has to drink Pediasure all day. And even though little Bill loves kale, so this is a kid who actually really likes real food and loves kale and begs his mom to feed him kale, they won't let him have it. Because it has no fat and he needs to gain weight. 
So instead of kale, he gets pediasure. How about feeding him instead, oh, I don't know, like a lot of butter? Like really good organic cultured butter and like real cheese and high quality like grass-fed meat and bacon and lots of bread and real food? Then he gets actual food. He doesn't get a canned slurry of oil, water, sugar, and synthetic vitamins, which is what Pediasure is. That was example B. Okay, now, my third example of how deep in the matrix we are is about food coloring and food dyes. So there was a new study released recently that says that there's a very good chance that all this ADHD is caused by food dyes in processed food products. So the food dye in the processed food is what's causing the ADHD. So instead of taking the kids off of the food products, instead they just medicate them. They give them pharmaceuticals and they give them pills meant for kids. And you know what the pills have in them? Food dyes. I believe we call that Kafkaesque. At least that's what we learned back in art school. Now, I don't have kids. I just want to keep saying that. So I can't really say what it's like to feed them on a daily basis. Although I have lived in a home with an infant. But she was still being breastfed. And I couldn't really help out there. So I don't know what's involved. But I do know that human children have lived and existed and even thrived for about a million years now. Since we made that great leap. And they never ate foodiness until about 75 years ago. Somehow we've made it this far as a species until now without needing to feed kids nutraceutical drinks or omega-3 enhanced cookies or kids flavored blue yogurt with added fiber or vitamin C added corn syrup based gummy vitamin candy or of course my favorite of all whole grain Captain Crunch. Now, have you seen these new ads for kids cereals that are on TV? They're all over the place. They're touting the new nutritional profiles of many of your favorite cereals and all the big players are there the captain is there and the cuckoo guy is there and the toucan with his fruity loops are there and fred and barney and their little pebbles they're all there and they're all bragging now that their cereals are made with 50 percent whole grain 50 that's half 50 percent whole grain Like, this is a really great thing. And you know what that means? That means that the other 50% is basically made of sugar and white flour and food coloring and flavorings and preservatives and synthetic vitamins and minerals. And that 50% of whole grain that they're bragging about, we know where it comes from. We've talked about this before. It comes from albino wheat. So it has no phytonutrients in it anyway, which are what we get from whole grain. So it's a total scam. You are being scammed by Toucan Sam and the captain. I know you believe in them, but you can't believe anyone anymore. So let me just give it to you straight without any hyperbole. Let's leave out the hyperbole. Kid foodiness is the gateway to a life completely dictated and controlled by corporations. Get them while they're young enough and they'll be hooked for life. That's why there's Muppet Babies and little Mickey and Minnie on your kids' diapers. And that's why there are adults whose first destination when they come to New York for the first time is the M&M store. The High Line is their second destination, but that's another story. Okay, another quick break. Quick, and we'll be right back. (laughs) 
Oh, sorry. We can make it quick. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. Now, remember that you can always listen to any Heritage Radio Network show ever produced on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You can also listen to any of my shows ever produced on iTunes. And you can also, of course, check out Let'sGetRealShow.com where you can read my vlog, which is my foodiness blog. And you can check out all kinds of stuff like Foodiness 101 and the five degrees of foodiness. And you can look at pictures of me and everything. Don't forget. You can also find me on Facebook. Let's Get Real on Facebook. You can also follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show, I think. Anyway. Once a month, I go to Greenwich, Connecticut. I've talked about this before. Greenwich, Connecticut is one of the wealthiest towns in the United States. And I go there to teach a private cooking class. I have a little group that I teach. And I've mentioned this before. I've talked about it. I know. I have a group of women. And they're actually really lovely people. And most of them are really nice. And I go into their homes. The homes of the 1%. And I teach these women a few things about cooking. Once a month. And then they eat their once a month meal, like Burmese pythons. And then I leave with a lot of cash. So it works for everybody involved. Now, while I'm there, I like to always take a good look inside their gigantic refrigerators. They have these sub-zero, double-wide refrigerators that I could live inside of. They're that big. I could live in there with a sweater. And the crazy thing is is that foodiness isn't just for the 99. Foodiness isn't just for the poor and the working and the middle class. Even the richest of the rich are in the foodiness rabbit hole. The wives survive on baby carrots and diet yogurt. The husbands, I think, go out for dinner every night on expense accounts, and the kids eat foodiness. Granted, it's organic, expensive, upscale foodiness, but it's still the same old shit. It's kind of like the thrill of going to someone's house and looking through their medicine cabinet. And you know you do that. But this is even more revealing because what you eat and how you feed your kids says so much more about you now that this is so much more about you than, you know, what kind of meds you're on. Since now everyone's medicated, everyone's on something except me and my co-producer and publicist, Chris Nutter, the uncle of Rhett, who's old school and just drinks a lot. But he used to drink cherry-flavored vodka before he met me, and now he doesn't because I re-educated him about artificial flavoring, and that vodka doesn't taste like cherries or cupcakes. It tastes like vodka. He is a proud graduate of the foodiness re-education camp. But the parents will say, oh, but my, my little Lexi, she'll only eat chicken fingers and chocolate Pop-Tarts, so I buy the organic Trader Joe's chocolate Pop-Tarts and the organic chicken fingers, but that's all she'll eat. Now, let's be real about this. After all, this is the mantra of countless American parents today. Their kids won't eat anything but fill-in-the-blank foodiness. My kitty won't eat anything but chicken nuggets, cheese string, frozen pizza, mac and cheese, etc., etc. And of course, then there's the fact that in most homes, most homes, not up in Greenwich, most homes, both parents are working 
And it's just easier to give little Brittany a bag of cheese strings or, a, you know, a bag of crackers shaped like little fishies to snack on. Or to give little Jaden microwavable chicken wing snacks after school. I know. I watch TV. I see the commercials. I know what people are feeding their kids. But let me also get real. Little Brittany and little Jaden and little Lexi will eat real food if the alternative is starvation. Trust me, they won't starve. Unless they're anorexic, of course. But that's like a whole other story. That comes much later. So let's get real about how to get your kids to eat real food. It's actually very simple. What's that staple of kid foodiness? Well, the chicken finger, the chicken nugget. Now, I know you're going to have to cook here. I keep saying you're going to just have to cook. Chicken fingers are a problem because you're going to have to make them. So make them. You buy some chicken breasts. You cut them up. Dip them in some egg. Roll them in some breadcrumbs. Throw them in the oven. It's not that hard to do. You can bread them and freeze them. And then all you have to do is heat them up. Or just take whatever it is you're eating and mush it up. This is what people have done. People have mushed up their food to feed their infants and children since time immemorial. Time memorial or immemorial? I don't know. I mean, you could even just give them something like peanut butter and jelly. Don't you think a regular old peanut butter and jelly sandwich, maybe on whole wheat bread, is better than feeding your kids some frozen pre-made crap? Except that now you can buy frozen pre-made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Have you seen this? Yes, frozen pre-made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They're round and they have no crust because apparently crust is evil. Now, real food is not as convenient. How many times have I said this? I know real food is not as convenient, but neither is an obese diabetic child. Teaching your kid how to inject himself with insulin is a lot less convenient than teaching your kid how to peel a carrot. Having a kid who's so obese they can't leave the house and go to work and you spend the rest of your life feeding him through a tube is really inconvenient. Having a wrecking ball tear off the side of your McMansion so the jaws of life can get in there to pick up giant Brittany or Brett or Lexi to take them to the clinic to get their mega gastric bypass is also super duper inconvenient. So just think about that the next time you fill up that little Ziploc bag with those little puffy yogurt sugar snacks for your baby and see if that doesn't motivate you to try maybe some grapes instead. And also, one thing to keep in mind, here's just something to think about. Most kid foodiness products are actually less nutritious than most pet food. So you're actually feeding your pets better food than you're feeding your children. And the pet food is higher quality in some cases. So think about that. So do you really want to feed your kids shit? Do you really want to eat shit? Well, if you don't, you need to continue listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. So we're just about out of time for tonight. I want to thank Carlos in the control room. I also want to thank my co-producer, Chris Nutter, and my amazing research assistant, Belinda Rodriguez. Music by Benjamin Kaplan. We will see you next week. <laughs>